passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 26 of the Eggshells Podcast Companion. This is an audible companion to Eggshells Pro Wrestling in the Tokyo Dome, a book that goes into deep detail on every single pro wrestling event that's ever taken place in Japan's most famous stadium. In this podcast, we take a look at a different year in Tokyo Dome history with a different guest each time. This time we're looking at 2014 and my guest, uh, you may know him from thelionmarks.com and uh, pro wrestling package goodies uh, being shipped to your door, uh, hopefully on a frequent basis. Uh, Juan Torres is with me. Juan. Hey, Chris. Thanks so much for having me. Super excited to be here to talk about uh, one of uh, a show that's kind of near and dear to my heart. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, we'll, we'll get into we'll get into all of that. So, was this was this the genesis of of what you guys do? Talk a little bit, actually, about um, you know you yeah. and and your wife. You're a husband and wife team behind uh, the Lion Marks. And uh, when did that come about? Because I I, t- I got turned on to you about mm, about a couple of years ago. Right. The lo- well, actually, uh, yeah, about a year and a half ago, we were uh, watching. Um, I think it was after the first G one in the USA event. Mm-hmm. where we are watching um, New Japan and we just saw that, you know, the excitement the Western audience was was having for the New Japan show. And we were sitting there and we're like, you know, we watch all this stuff here and a lot of it doesn't get translated. And I'm lucky enough to have a Japanese wife who could kind of fill in all the blanks for me. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm still a student of the language. Uh, it's for me, it feels like a lifelong journey of, of trying to get all the intricacies of Japanese. So I've been a fan of, of New Japan for a few years. Um, and then I introduced it to my wife while I was living in Japan and she got super into it. Uh, so we were just watching and I was like, you know what, we should start translating this. We, should, you know, let's set up a blog and let's just share uh, what we can with the people out there. And from there, you know, just kind of took off, uh, met with you. Um, we got to meet in person. It was really great. So, uh, since then it's just been fun to be part of the community. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a cool and exciting community to be in. And, and, you know, I think a few years ago it was a lot more ramshackle, right? (laughs) Yeah. Occasional sort of people, you know, I, I would be there or like some other Twitter accounts would be there and say, this is what they're saying, you know, and, and suddenly that like social media became the, the, foundation the beginning foundations mm-hmm. you know i think in in many ways of of like the international expansion of of wrestling of, of japanese wrestling in, in in general you know i mean not to toot our own horns in in any sense at all no, no. Yeah. um you know but i think there was there was an interest and then you know there were people like like you or i or, or, or you know other people in the in the history of the community or whatever that, that were willing to put this stuff out there and i think the reactions that 
the the fans gave to that made a lot you know a lot of more important people in these companies sort of set up and take notice and say oh hey <laughs> we can maybe make some money off of some foreign people here yeah for um, sure we we started off with uh translating some of a g1 uh some backstage comments stuff that we saw wasn't getting translated as much as as we'd like and uh you know i guess that kind of lit a fire under the right people and then you know new, new japan kicked it into high gear so you know which is awesome just the seeing all the, the expansion and the stuff that that they're doing and then the the international community is just so excited and you know they they work hard trying to put the pieces together and figure out all this stuff. So I really, I really enjoy doing the, uh, the cultural stuff because there, there's so much to cover with, with Japanese wrestling. It's not just wrestling from a different country. It's a whole different culture and a whole different way of, of looking at things. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. And in a different way of presentation and in a way, you know, that's, that's where like you know, being on the, on the fringes and, and sort of fan translating stuff actually makes it, I think to an extent easier for some of the foreign fans um, mm. in certain aspects than it is for the Japanese fans, perhaps, because the Japanese fans will be going to directly to Source X or Source Y, you know? <laughs> so we've yeah. got to go to Tokyo Sports. Okay, and then after that, we're going to buy, like, Weekly Pro Wrestle, or, like, we're going to buy this magazine here and, and that sure. over there. And then, like, go and chase all these stories up. Whereas, like you know, the, the English fans in here, way it's like looking up on, on Twitter and like from about two or three different accounts, they've got the gist of everything. <laughs> like, under yeah, one, that's, yeah, we're that's aggregators true. as well as like translators in that, in that sense, you know? Yeah. They, um, they could wait, uh, they could wait a day later and hear what matches is must see and tune in when they feel like it. Yeah. True. So what was your, uh, introduction to New Japan? New Japan. My introduction was this show. Oh, this was the first New Japan show I I ever saw. Twenty fourteen Wrestle Kingdom eight. Hmm. So, yeah. like, what made you take the plunge? Were you living in Japan at, at that point? Because you live nope. in Osaka now. Yeah, I'm in Osaka now. Um, I was living back home in Chicago. Uh -huh. um, I was a lifelong wrestling fan. There's got to be a word or a name for this fan who was like a little Hulkamaniac, and uh -huh. then an Attitude Era kid, and then kind of came back later, mm. and and missed like the same periods, but I was a, you know, a WWE fan, um, had, you know, a bit of, I was aware of Japanese wrestling. I had been to Tokyo once before and I actually went to a, 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 a Michinoku pro show. That was my mm -hmm. first uh, time ever seeing Japanese pro wrestling. Um, and I was on Reddit and somebody said there was a, a th uh, actually found it. There was a, a thread uh, for Wrestle Kingdom 8 and everybody's like, oh, you guys got to tune in. You got to watch it. So I had a regular group of uh, wrestling buddies who would get together and watch the, the WWE pay-per-views. We decided to give this a shot and, you know, it kind of set off a series of events that would find me in Japan later that summer. Wow. Okay. So this was the... You was it you stream you what oh, I can't remember what's the what was the I think it was I think it was on you stream yeah you stream there you go uh, yeah on on pay per view at the time so like the very sort of beginning of all of this you know of New Japan World and like New Japan World would have launched in December of 2014 right um, but before that I think like 2013 and 2014 they were they were doing pay per views on on you stream and. 
folks, um, you know, 1,000 yen a month for everything New Japan and, and a lot of other stuff besides is mm-hmm. uh, an amazing deal. When you consider like 20, I think 2013 and 2014, um, you had to pay something like $200 for the G1 or something. What really? Was it that much? It was, I think it was crazy when you added it all up or they did like a, they wound up doing a package deal, I think in, in 2014. Um but uh, yeah, if you were outside of Japan in those areas, like I wouldn't envy you uh, at all. <laughs> yeah, I I will admit to um, this. I did not, you know, go through the proper channels to find this oh, one. No, um, um, I, I, yeah, I, I more than made up for it, you know. Later, I, I bought yeah, a lot of go. t-shirts and tickets. That's right. Yeah, but I I think like <laughs> even at the time, people were still like the the reaction that. I would be getting you because this was when I was doing a podcast with, with waiting for the law. So we were doing right. Japanese audio wrestling every, every month. And like the, the reaction that we were getting from the West was still nonetheless, like, this is amazing because we get to see it live, you know? And, and like, it was this breakthrough of, you know, we're not tape trading anymore or we're not like, uh, waiting for a torrent to go up, like right. after like five, six weeks later and it might be a dodgy rip or whatever. We're paying through the nose for it and it's difficult to get, <laughs> you know, but, but you're getting it. Um, so it was uh, kind of a, an epiphany in, in many a sense, but, uh, yeah, 2014, geez, what was happening in 2014? There was a uh, record snowfalls in, in Japan. I remember this in, in February, oh. there was a crazy amount of snow. And like, I remember missing work for a few days and this was just after my son was born, like the prior September. So I was at this show live, but this was, I think like the first time where I was like, I'm escaping the house. <laughs> oh, really? So what, what amounts to record snowfall? Is it just an, like a dusting that'll keep people off the roads kind of thing? Well, you know, I mean like, yeah, record snowfall, it depends where you are. Right. right. And you know, where even you are in Osaka or where I am in Kanto, it's like, oh, there's... It's three inches of snow on the ground. You better call the National Guard kind of thing. Right. Um, but, I mean, it was, yeah, it was significant. You know, I mean, I've, I've been to Sapporo, like, a, a few times, and it was kind of on a similar scale, but here in, you know, here in Yokohama. Um, yeah, it, it was kind of crazy snowfall. Oh, I'm sorry. Did that snow go right into the dome, like, in, into January? No, 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 no. So oh, it was done came in February, actually. Yeah. Oh, okay. It, it was a little bit after the the dome show, but I mean, that's the thing about Japanese winters, right? It, it's always it's the end. You know, right. it, it always comes in February. I think is where we usually get the weather, and it's normally, you know, the the first few. What really surprised me, you know, was was being in my first few Christmases in Japan, and it being like really warm. <laughs> because yeah. it's still kind of warm uh, in December. Um, and I was expecting, you know, biting cold, you know, or snow, or at least the British way of, of freezing rain. But um, yeah, that that wasn't the case. But uh, yeah, other unfortunate things that happened in Japan in 2014, we had an increase in the sales tax to 8%. So, oh, it's going to jump up even higher, isn't it, soon it's gonna, enough? It's going to go up to 10%. Yeah. 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 Yeah, once upon a time, kids, 100 yen shops, really, everything actually cost 100 yen. <laughs> now oh, nice. Yen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but there you are. And the top single in Japan in 2014, Juan, was, what do you think? It's Is it going to be AKB? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was AKB 48. And um, 
Labrador Retriever. is a song about dogs of some kind <laughs> how good they are I, I don't know um so yeah. this wasn't the fortune cookie year that i missed that was that going to be on last year um maybe there was like one i think i did a couple of episodes ago when uh with with mike semfivi and it was like the top five was was all akb 48 um so it may have been in that top five at some point but um yeah, still, I can't say, can't say I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. I, I, I'm aware of them. I've, you know, I, you can't avoid it. It's yes, that's true. It's poppy music. It's, it's all right. It's not, it's not horrible. <laughs> You're the closest one that we've had to a Japanese J-pop expert. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. <laughs> so yeah, I'm rescuing them eight. Uh, in the Tokyo Dome, as, as I said, I was there. I was there with WH, and, and um, you know, I almost had a thought of, oh, maybe I can dig for, for an archive of that podcast we did of the, at the time and listen to it. And I was like, no, I don't want the cringe factor. And <laughs> now we've put ideas in somebody's head to to go and look for it. But the one thing that really struck me about the show in general was how long it was. Um, yeah, like I said, I got this uh, video already recorded uh, through nefarious means and the first thing i did when i loaded it up was like well this is a big file this is a long pay-per-view like we're gonna have to really pace ourselves with the pizza um mm. so to watch this whole thing yeah and and what it really felt like was um you know, th- now we're sort of a couple of years into the the bushy road era and it it really felt like pushing things in different directions um but like not quite finding the right balance and so what we got here was a lot of what i would call a, a lot of spectacle um surrounding the wrestling in addition to it you know it's like they, they weren't mm. cutting any matches or, or giving less time you know perhaps the the main event was a little bit shorter considering uh, the people who were in it but um they weren't cutting matches but you had huge and very, very, very long entrances for a lot of people. You know, it's like his his Muto, and he gets like a live music entrance with like uh, dragons and shit. And then his Goto, yeah. and he has a musical entrance. And like, so that's that's the know. funniest one because you think of Goto nowadays, and and you think of just a very straightforward, quick, uh, you know, walk to the ring. Not a lot of glitz and glamour to this guy, but he had drummers and dancers all around him. Like, and it was just it was Goto. Yeah, yeah. There was, um, I think this was a year. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember what the kanji was, but they did like this big, in the pre-show, because this is the year, these were the years before the uh, the New Japan Rambo. Rambo? Rambo. That's mm. because that's what they call it. It's the New Japan Rambo. It's not the New <laughs> Japan Rumble. Um, so this was the years before that, but they still, they had a pre-show um that involved like calligraphy you know like, you know how you sometimes at, at new year you, you'll see them like writing the the right. kanji of the air on like the massive yep. sheets of paper you know and they did that yeah. i can't remember what it, what the kanji was now um but yeah so i mean straight from the outset it was like you know very much pushing the the grandeur 
um, as much as as much as anything else. So like the idea of okay, we're we're making this an event, um, but at the same time, yeah, the the balance between that and the actual content wasn't wasn't quite struck you know, in in general. And I remember it by the end of it because like the main event was coming on and it was like pretty much ten o'clock. Oh. towards 10 o'clock at night and like um wh left before me oh no like yeah he was just like i gotta i've got to get the shinkansen back home you know because he was living kind of far out so like yeah i remember right. him leaving just as like the main event was was starting um and i i know that the, like he wanted to see the main event so it was getting increasingly pissed off like towards the end and then um you know i think it was as Dave Mustaine was was playing Tanahashi to the ring. He was like, I can't see. This. Oh no, yeah, that's that's one thing. And I think they got a lot better at that recently, where shows feel um, tighter. And and you're out of there before like nine o'clock, even even after yeah, a big I, show like Dominion. Yeah, I think like especially this year, it's felt very very like tightly run. All the G one shows were like to the minute and it's a very very brisk pace yeah and, um you know for from the experience of, of being there at ringside and and having to work on on those like it's kind of breathless <laughs> by mm. the end because it's like it feels go 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 but i think from the fans perspective i think a if you're at home and and be as and especially if you're going out, you know, I mean, mm. it's it's perfect to have that like that brisk pace and yeah, let's perhaps uh, ditch the intermissions and and just make sure that everybody gets in and out. But um, so oddly enough, it was this spectacle that that I saw a lot of buzz about online. Mm. And mm. looking through that um, Reddit thread, everyone is just talking about the entrances and the time splitters coming in a DeLorean and uh, just yeah, yeah. yeah how iconic that is and as introductions to all these characters that's what like totally hooked me um from that point where i kind of expected that from then on kind of thing mm -hmm. i heard so this is the wrestlemania of new japan and yeah i was starting to follow and i was all in on the product and then you know the next year it wasn't quite so big i mean it it's still a spectacle and it maybe fit a little more but mm. this was the height of it. So um, I yeah, think yeah, it served I, its purpose point. at that time, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, when you are getting audiences that are coming for the first time, they will remember the entrances. Yeah, for sure. Um, and at the, I think at the same time, though, with, with Rest Kingdom 9, they had the pay-per-view constraints as well. So, like, that was right. a different... Um, sort of set in circumstance, you know, and and I remember everybody saying after S Kingdom Nine how like how well paced that show was in in, in general, um, but uh, yeah, you're, I mean, you're right. The the, other, the flip side of that is, yeah, you you suddenly establish these guys and you you know exactly who they are. Um, but let's get into our matches here, and and two guys that had to be established, well, because they had a famous name. Um, but not particularly famous to to the New Japan fans, um, were the Gracies, Daniel Gracie and uh, Rolls Rolls Royce. How do you? I don't. Know. Rolls. Ro Rolls. Ro Royes. It's Royes got Gracie. Yeah, Royes. Um, possibly Royes. Not not Royce Gracie. No, because that's a no. different. No, but Royes Gracie. Um, and so yes, this was. 
this was a thing that happened in 2014. Box <laughs> was the great series in in New Japan, um, and you know sometimes I like to pick out the matches on here that that perhaps you know aren't aren't fondly remembered, but but make people go, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, so like that's uh, right. oh that's yeah, and then and then oh yeah, <laughs> and a, and a reaction to that one. Yeah, well, I mean, so this was a couple of years, you know. Kazushi Sakuraba had come in 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 August 2012, and so it was Sakuraba and and Shibata like coming in together. They had that that big re- reaction, and then you know they were teaming together as, as Laughter Seven for a little bit, um, and then you know, drifted apart. And so now Sakuraba is uh, teaming up with Nagata here against the Gracies, and when when Shibata came, when Shibata and Sakuraba came back. And there's this whole thing of like, you know, who knew how much everybody was kept in the dark when they actually came in. But when they came back, um, the reaction was, oh, God, yeah, fantastic. Shibata's back. But like Sakuraba, mm, I don't know, because of, I think, like the, the wounds from Enochism kind of still right. ran deep. You know, so like people were kind of worried about, oh, are we going to have like... MMA grappling matches here. Um, oh, and like I think they spent a, a decent period of time sort of establishing, like, so Sakuraba was doing a lot of grappling, but like still doing what he was really, really good at and <coughs> in, in mixing the two, you know. And, and Sakuraba, like, of course, started in, in UWFI, you know. So, I mean, he he started as a pro wrestler, you know, and, and you look at those mid 90s the mid-90s stuff he was doing in, in New Japan and during that feud, and it, it was really, really good. Um, but, uh, yeah, now, especially when you compare the prior year where you had, like, Sakuraba against Nakamura in that, like, fantastic match mm. that, that really blew everybody away. Um, yeah, here's Sakuraba with all the, oh, the graces, and, like, they've never had a pro wrestling match before, and this isn't going to be pleasant. And actually, re-watching it, it wasn't as bad as I remembered, but it wasn't it wasn't tremendously fun. It, it, you're, you know, yeah, you're right. It's not as bad as, cause it, I think it did earn like a minus one star, um, rating, but it, the first time I just remember being utterly confused mm. by what's going on and, and just not really understand kind of just being confused. Like, is it, am I watching a legitimate fight here? Like what, is this what happens in New Japan kind of thing? <laughs> and, but so when I was watching with some um, wrestling friends and we had some like casual friends in our group who were actually more MMA enthusiasts. So they yeah, were yeah. they were super excited about this. I was someone who never got into MMA. I, it just a little too rough for me. And they were they were so into it. The idea of the Gracies and they, they knew about Sakuraba and they were super hyped for it. And it just never paid off it never really got going and just was tremendously awkward i guess yeah and and part of the thing was and this was all the way through the the brief graces spell that went into like they went up to about april i think was that um they were doing pro wrestling you know and and it wasn't it, it was kind of awkward here where had they just grappled Mm. it would have been good 
you know, <laughs> like, I think especially with, you know, and, and Nagata could have just like grappled with those guys yeah. and like laid in some strike. But there was, there was a point where Nagata just sort of takes over and, and lands a few kicks and like Daniel Gracie kind of comes back with like just these awkward kind of pushes like oh the and, pushes the shoving yeah, just just like wouldn't break an egg and it's like, what's going on here you know and that's where it, it started to get bad and then like you know the, the next month or so it everything turned into you know they, they were brawling in the crowd and there were terrible chair shots and and it just you're not playing to your your strengths assuming you have them in in, in a pro wrestling context um so yeah, that there was a point where had they played it like an Nokia Steerer uh a match, then it would have been fine. But I think they they were also very conscious of um oh. but you know, we're in a, we're kind of booked ourselves into a corner at this point, <laughs> you know, so we have to go through it. But like we don't wanna uh, persist with this image of like uh MMAism or the Enochism has, has returned. So yeah, I I a real kind of shame because I don't know about you, but I, I wound up really, really enjoying a lot of Sakuraba's run back in, in New Japan up until, you know, the end of 20, what, 2016. Yeah. And, and, and he, and he provided something different, you know, he had his MMA look, but he totally fit in to the new Japan style still. And, and you, you bought, you bought him as an authentic, uh, you know, legitimate threat to people, you know, kind of the same way you, you buy Suzuki nowadays. And, and Nagata gets stuck in one of these weird matches again where he's kind of does what he has to do, huh? And that's kind of, yeah, that that was kind of the fate that befell Nagata. And of course, like, um, it was the, you know, it was after this that he'd find himself in 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 the New Japan Rumble, you know, he was he was the first winner of the of the New Japan Rumble, but it was like, oh, I want to know the underdog, and, and <laughs> yeah. uh, legitimately considered retiring at, at that point, you know, before he, he sort of found his his place where he is now. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, a, a difficult position uh, for Nagata here for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, what else took took well? What took your fancy when you when you first um, when you first looked at the show? Huh? Well, I just, um, you know, just looking the first time looking at the show, it was it was really interesting just to see all the names uh, that I had heard of or was familiar with. What people like the uh, Taka Michinoko, oh, he's he's around, he's here. It was my mm. first time uh, meeting the Bullet Club concept, the Young Bucks, um, seeing all these names that are somewhat familiar um, and and getting a grasp of of these players, the match that really stuck out to me the most, um, going back, especially, um, was Ibushi versus Devitt, uh, for the junior, uh, title. And, you know, I, I know, I don't know if you see this a lot of people online constantly ask like, Hey, what's a good first match to show someone to show them new Japan pro wrestling. I want to introduce my friends to new Japan. What should I show them? And a lot of times people say, you know, like, Oh, Shibata versus Ishii, or one of the Omega Kata matches. And those are all, of course, highlight fantastic matches. But I really think this is like a really cool introduction for people because it gives you like a taste of of definitely New Japan's like dynamic style. But with all of these characters that you're kind of grounded with, especially if you're coming from WWE, looking back. And perhaps like a more, a little bit more of a WWE-like presentation 
to this match as well or like the 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 flow of it at least yeah absolutely with all the interruptions um, yeah shenanigans it was a thing that that sort of frustrated me i i think at the time um but i mean watching it watching it back it, it's something where where you do get that that break in the middle where everybody gets the you're out of here and it's like, yeah that's a very sort of western style trope i think but uh, you know after that you you finally get um you get the flow towards the end there but it is um you know i mean ibushi and debit had like this this rivalry that that had stretched back years at this point like four or five years at, at this point in in tags and in solos as well and there was the thing of ibushi couldn't couldn't beat debit in the dome mm-hmm. so they had like the match in 2011 which was a really you know that that was a sort of show stealing uh match that was very much like athletic high paced you know and and singles competition you know and and um a, tr- a tremendous a tremendous display you know whether Absolutely. like the, the the people who are uh sort of very very deep on you know the layers of of narrative or you know uh certain psychological aspects of of matchmaking may not particularly enjoy it but i think as a as a physical display um it was tremendous and then you had the the three-way with devitt and loki um in 2013 which was that was a moment of oh these were great would be two great singles matches <laughs> but oh, they okay made yeah into, they made it into a three-way and then the finish there was like debit pinning ibushi so two times like debit pinned ibushi with like top row bloody sunday and so here's this thing of like okay now finally we're getting like ibushi and prince debit in the tokyo dome again it's going to be one-on-one and you know I, I probably ibushi is going to win this time and it's going to be tremendous it's going to be glorious but then okay here's the young bucks and here's carl anderson <laughs> you know and it's yeah oh like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i could see that i could see definitely how um that would kind of uh taint this match uh but i was just for me it was it was like who are these guys and why are the only westerners have to be in a gun-toting gang but uh i'll go with it um and and yeah it, i i think coming at it the first time you're struck with either the strong hitting aspects of New Japan, the very physical matches. And we had a, a, after the, the opening match, there was just a lot of just kind of hard hitting matches. Yeah. And then this was another, you know, let's kick it into high gear as, as we're closing out the show on the business end here. Yeah. I think like this is a a sort of era in a run of shows where you'd have like the, the junior heavyweight title match would be, you know, now it's elevated to the point where it's like almost semi-main event or third from top. Mm-hmm. But like here, the junior heavyweight title is a little bit lower down, but it's kind of like the break of, you know, either we're going to send you into mission or we're just coming back from intermission. And like, here's where things are really going to pick up, you know, at, at this point. And, um, you know, I, I think like what I've said kind of applies to, to watching the show in a vacuum now or with the distance of time. But like the really, I mean, the, the kind of point, you know, I mean, they, they, this sort of letting you down aspect of it was, was kind of the, the, the theme of the Bullet Club um, at this point um, and, and where they kind of needed to be. And like the Bullet Club had only been around 
what, seven months at this point? So May uh, 2013 to January 2014. Um, and you just had sort of Devitt. Um, you know, I, I think like this was almost a very similar match, in fact, to like the, the best of the Super Junior Finals with, with Alex Shelley. I don't know if you've seen that match, but like that is a similar thing where they had sort of interference and then finally sent the guys away. But then at the end of the day in the super junior finals, Devitt comes out on top and then it's, it was, I was in the crowd for that and it felt oh. like dangerous, you know, like <laughs> the level of anger, you know, so that, that, I mean, they were very definitely generating uh, real anger here. And um, I remember reading that even back then that uh, as I was trying to catch up on who are, all these factions are, people's opinions were like, oh, the Bullet Clubs, they're the Western guys who ruin the matches and and have that Western style where they're going to do the run-ins and they won't give you that pure, they won't let you have your pure New Japan moments. And that narrative has, you know, it's still going today. The G1 was filled with that and it either rubs people the wrong way or or people have kind of accepted it is what it is kind of kind of situation but it's it's the same thing that's been going on for since their beginning i guess yeah yeah i mean like that that was at the end of the day you know it's like folly folly i think folly said said the exactly you know the same thing it's like when I mean, you either get over for being if if you're being tremendous and and being good or you get you get over for being bad you know but yeah you know, pick one and um you know it, it it's the the that's kind of their mo i guess was like kind of toying with expectations a little bit but where i think like where people got sore about it was that you wanted so badly to see devitt just go do you know what i mean because he was he's such a great athlete and he's right. so charismatic and, he's so, and this was just so, him at his prime yeah and so for him to kind of then go and, and adopt this style from you know, really from especially that G1 onwards for the rest of that year um, was very brave on his part. And I think probably spoke a lot. It did volumes for him as a character, you know, because I think like everybody knew how athletic and how good he was. Mm -hmm. um, but especially with with probably he was thinking of where he was going to go next. Um you know, he was able to show a lot of div a lot more diversity um, by taking this route. But I think it was a, a risky route to take. And of course, like he he rubbed people up the the wrong way. But he was a heel in doing it, and that was part of his job. You know, so like it all worked out in the end. But um, you know, within the moment, then of course, you know, people got frustrated. But um, yeah, it's still like especially the like the closing stretch for this match and like the the great finish as well. They 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 finally. After two times in the Tokyo Dome, the the top rope bloody Sunday. This time it like gets counted, and you have like the sky high Horikurana stood on the top rope, and um, you know you you definitely got that athleticism out of um, out of Koto Ibushi by the end of the match. Yeah, it was you know just I I I always joke about this on Twitter every time I watch an Ibushi match, and I'm always excited to see him, but I'm, I'm also cringing and also. <laughs> praying to myself that he doesn't get hurt. He has this tendency to just want to land on his neck. And there's there's a moment where it's either Anderson or Gallows uh, power bombs him onto uh, the uh, apron. Mm, mm, mm. And when he reaches the, the apex of the power bomb, uh, Ibushi kind of juts his neck out. 
to yeah, like I, th- I think to he turn was just extra like, stiff and, and yeah. take, take it hard. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost like he's like, where am I going to land here? <laughs> and, yeah. and like, oh, there's the airport. <laughs> yeah, sure. But um, yeah, and we also got like by the end of this, a, a debutante by the name of El Desperado coming down with the, the mysterious talent challenge by the, by the end of this match as well. And like this was kind of, um, I think the start, you know, I mean, they, they've done sort of post Tokyo Dome, correct and Hall shows, but like this was where like the, the real sort of new year's dash being established as like the, the, um, you know, I hesitate to say the, the roar after WrestleMania, but that right. kind of like, post Tokyo Dome and like so this is one season finishing and then mm-hmm. the next begins the, the next night um, and there was definitely like a, a big air of like oh here comes this this guy Desperado and like he's going to have his, his first match the, the next night or whatever so like there was uh, that sort of extra layer of mystery and, and, and propelling people to the, to the next night as well and, and like that started here I think yeah and that was a bit, a bit of a risk and a, and a gamble to play there because you had this big you know, moment of elation with Ibushi winning and vanquishing all of Bullet Club, and then just a mysterious figure comes out, hands him a you know a bouquet of black roses, says nothing, and and walks away. And you're just kind of wondering, well, who is that? Who you know? Am I supposed to know who that is? Who's that guy? Kind of thing. So, but it definitely sets up you know a lot of mystery going forward. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, a a significant year 2013 uh for the bullet club 2013 was also a significant year for suzuki gun and so that takes me to the the other match that that i wanted to talk about here which was suzuki gun of minari suzuki and shelton x benjamin mm. um versus toriano and the great musa um Jeez. Well, this match, I mean, on, on paper, it must have rung true a little bit to you, Juan, right? Because, okay, here's Shelton Benjamin. Right. Um, and then here's the Great Muta, you know, which was, I assume it would have been at least a, a name that you'd, yeah. you'd heard of at yeah. that point. Um, so, yeah, so the, the other halves in this match were, were presumably new to you. So, like, how did you receive this? Um, you know, this at this point in the show, it was like the fifth or sixth match, and every match was taking me in a different direction. With like, you know, I could kind of grasp onto some concepts I I know of. You know, oh, okay, this this match has all Westerners. I could kind of get how they're gonna work. But then when I get here, it's like, well, I, I just have no idea what's happening anymore. Like, how did Shelton end up here? Um, has Taka always been around here? Like. And it, it was just it was just spectacle, and I, I and I just followed it for the kind of uh, for that aspect, and it was a brisk you know affair. So it just it was just something I just kind of watched and took in, um, just kind of happened for me, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and like this was kind of I guess we're, we're getting towards a, a near two year long nadir for Suzuki Kun at this point. Um, because like Suzuki Gun had had been around since since 2011. It always seems like these these factions start up at, at Dontaku because you know Bullet Club was Dontaku 2013. Um, Suzuki Gun was Dontaku 2011. Was when Minori Suzuki sort of wound up taking over um, and right. starting Suzuki Gun because this was originally, incredibly enough, 
Kojima gun. Yeah. Um, so we nearly got a very real bread club before like the, the bullet club. Happened. <laughs> um, but uh yeah they they'd been around and it was 2012 was kind of like in really Dontaku 2012 um or Dontaku I beg your pardon Dontaku 2013 or here we are in 2014 right yeah that makes sense um but that had been like the, their peak you know because Suzuki was was chasing Okada mm-hmm. and then you know it, and he did this there was this amazing promo when like Okada had um lost the belt to, to Tanahashi or you know he hadn't successfully challenged in or he lost yeah he lost the belt to Tana and then he'd won the New Japan Cup to beat Tanahashi again at like at Invasion Attack um that was it so at that point um, you know, he wins the belt and then Suzuki comes down and like, he's got one of those Okada dollars in his hand. And oh. like, so there's this great promo in it. And he just kind of goes, you know, I've been watching you the whole time. You know, he'd, um, Suzuki had beaten, um, Okada in a, in just a, a singles match that February. And, um, you know, he, he kind of says like, the announcer, you know, I heard the commentary in the back, and the announcers did the whole thing of like, oh, the history has changed. <laughs> it's like Lexi Ogoita, you know, and that's what that's the sort of typical announcer bluster. It's like nothing's changed because like you're still weaker than me. You know, <laughs> he kind of holds it, like tears up the 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 note. He said, all the money that you're making fall. It's all counterfeit. See, you know, it's like, ah, oh, great. It was like Minoru Suzuki being like peak badass Minoru Suzuki. Right. And so they, they had this, they had that, they had Shelton Benjamin had come in on that next tour for Dontaku. So like he was an ex, a mystery opponent for Shinsuke Nakamura. So it's like Shelton Benjamin challenging for the Intercontinental title, Suzuki challenging for the heavyweight title, um, Killer Elite Squad were the tag champions at the time. And then they lost all their fucking matches. <laughs> so, so they all lose. And then after that, like Suzuki gun is basically lost, you know, for, for going on two years and until they go to Noah, really um, Suzuki is kind of nowhere. And we had a seemingly never ending feud between Minoru Suzuki and Toriyano, <laughs> um, mainly existing around Toriyano, like, duct taping hog tying doing whatever he can to like get suzuki stuck on the outside so that yeah. he can win by count out and that, that all continues to today yeah exactly yeah so i mean you'd, you'd really seen like toriano had gone full toriano at, at this point yeah this is the turning point right i mean this is when he's mm. definitely the yano that we know now yes exactly yeah 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 um there was. It took a, a couple of years of being of him being in chaos, where it's still like he could still seriously go. You know, he, mm-hmm. he you know he challenged Tanahashi at one point, but um, yeah, now we're in full like low blow and roll up in five seconds. You know, really quick G one climax matches. Um, I really love, by the way, like you know when like Toriano on the the G one hype videos like a couple of years ago, 
remake, it's just Doriano singing the G1. Yes. Theme. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like singing about being tired and like he wants yeah, to go. It's, just it's like hot. finish the <laughs> Yeah, it's hot. <laughs> he hates being on the bus, like finish the match really quickly and go to the hotel and drink. You know, it's like brilliant. Um but uh yeah, and then this was yeah. It, it, this was just that it, it just a very strange um i mean not really strange because this was kind of the turning point i think for the the great muta character as well you know where and great muta has been used in like ddt since and that mm-hmm. kind of thing in a similar way um where it's just what's toriana going to come up with next oh it's a mystery opponent for suzuki again and that that hex is you know and it, and it's great muta <laughs> for some fucking reason you know it's yeah great muta. um so, I mean, like within that context, it 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 makes a little bit of sense, you know, and it it's kind of and it's funny and it's it's kind of haha. But then that doesn't really gel with Great Muta being presented as as having like this huge awesome entrance, and you had like the amazing like Koto like version of his his theme music coming out, and mm-hmm. you had all of those dragons, and then you had it the only answer going. This is the first time for Great Muta in the Tokyo Dome in in six years. It's like it's amazing, and um, yeah, <laughs> and then uh, uh, a lot of a lot of hahas actually in, in the match itself. But, um, but there you are. Yeah, and it, you know, just watching for the first time, and it just, just getting wrapped up in, in the look of everybody, and and my first time seeing Suzuki. Mm. But like I said, I had some MMA friends who, and while we were watching, we kind of had Wikipedia open so we could like look up everybody, and and my friends recognized Suzuki and and his work, uh, you know, in uh, in the uh, mixed martial arts. So there was something for everybody to kind of grab onto and and be slightly confused but ultimately entertained by yes yeah that's that's exactly it yeah i think from uh, from beginners to hardcores yeah confusing but uh, <laughs> kind of yeah um yeah no com- no real confusion well a little bit of controversy but no real confusion over over the main event um tanahashi versus nakamura for the intercontinental uh, championship um, and this, you would have to go all the way. You would have to go back to the first Wrestle Kingdom for was the last time that the IWGP title hadn't headlined the Tokyo Dome. Um, and you'd have to go way, way back to what I think off the top of my head now are oh, the statistics in the, in the book, I believe, but like, you'd have to go back to around, I think 97 or maybe earlier than that was the last time the IWGP heavyweight championship was underneath another championship. Mm. Um, you know, and, and that all goes down to, to the fan vote. So did you, I mean, presumably you weren't familiar with, with the reasons why the intercontinental title was, was going on last was like, this must've been really confusing to you. If, this, if you didn't have yeah. the people involved <laughs> right. and you didn't know, like, you know, why is the heavyweight championship not going on last? Yeah. It's kind of a, a head fuck. Yeah, when I was watching this, and um, first off, I I just didn't under- know that like an intercontinental title could exist outside of WWE. Mm. Like I was like, why why would they have the same type of title that that the WWE has? I'll just go with it. And then I, I was trying to justify to myself, well, intercontinental. I guess that could sound more important than just a heavyweight title. Mm. And I was trying to just understand what it was. Um, just watching the show. 
the characters felt more important yeah. in the final match than the than the match that we would kind of relive this past year. Everybody knows the story now. Um, mm. And looking back at at that match, it kind of felt like um, the match between Okada and Naito looked like a match that just kind of had to happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For the I mean, sake of like, it felt like they kind of went through the motions for at least the first half of it. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, yeah. It, I mean, like Naito said since, right. That he didn't really take advantage of that situation of, of being like the, the G1 winner at the time. Um, and like, I th- but I think it was the position that he was put in, you know, where like Naito wins the G1 and like even after that, like, you know, even in the post-match interview after he wins the G1, it's like, what are you going to do next? It's like, I'm going to face Masato Tanaka for the Never title. <laughs> and, and, you know, at, at that point... Yeah, yeah, and that all made sense for for his character, you know, because he was tied to the the never uh, concept, and sure. originally never was going to be a sub brand that was going to have longer legs. But they did a few Shinjuku face shows, and like Naito and Yujiro were like the the guys, you know, that they, they were building that little brand around, and and they loved it and whatever. And Yujiro and Tanaka had like both kicked him out of chaos, and then they, the you know Yujiro had injured his knee and and all of that stuff, right? Um, so I mean, it made sense, but it was also like at the time it felt okay. So like you've you've won like the biggest tournament, and it was a really really great tournament, the the G one in twenty thirteen. Um, and so, but now you're just like taking a backward step and you're mm. stepping down. So like that really critical sort of last three, four months of the year just really only served to damage Naito, I think. Um, so when Tanahashi and Nakamura came up, you know, and that was a match that um, had been protected for so long and they hadn't, you know, and there was this thing, the announcers, um, you know, I don't know if you, you caught the line one, but like the, the announcers talking about it at the time that Tanahashi had said, like in the interview, it's, it's almost effectively, it's like the first time we're, we're meeting each other again, you know, mm. because this was saying, you know, I mean, Tanahashi, we talked about it on, on these episodes, you see a gradual evolution for Tanahashi, but like Nakamura doesn't truly, truly arrive until like around 2011. Um, and after he wins the G1 and then you kind of see like the King of Strong Style coming in, you know, and, and during that period, like they kept Tanahashi and Nakamura completely separate. Um, so all of that, that 10 year, 10 years of history, but also being kept apart for so long, you know, I mean, it was really like natural that that was going to be the match that the people would want going on last, you know, and, and and so do you remember did they disclose like what the voting numbers were or percentage was it was it a landslide that you know we want the intercontinental championship to headline um i'm not exactly sure right now off the top of my head i don't know but i believe it was yeah it was pretty it was pretty overwhelming um in terms of percentages but then also, you know, it's, it's kind of how they did the vote was a little bit weird. Like you had to go to the TV SE website, you know, it wasn't the easiest thing in the world to do, yeah. you know, so it wasn't like a Twitter thing, 
<laughs> Whereas now, right. I think if they did this sort of thing, well, we'll we'll, we'll put it on Twitter, and, and but I mean, <laughs> wouldn't put, they wouldn't do that now? I don't. Think. Right. But I mean, had they done it, then that's what they would have done. But like, it it meant that you know you were getting the hardcore fans that were voting. I think, and that kind of meant that they were going to go with Tanahashi and Nakamura. You know. Right. It's it's interesting. I wonder like if you do that again, or if I. If I go back into that time, if it's a question of like what match do I want to see ver- versus like the purist or in- traditionalist in me who, oh, the heavyweight title must be the last um, title on the show. But, mm. I, you know, as in the WWE era we're in or that I was watching at the time, there was many times when the heavyweight title <laughs> was never think, the main yeah. event. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I yeah, I think, of course, I mean, when you think of New Japan and Japanese wrestling in general, like there's there's more steadfastness uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to tradition. But I mean, like double main events. I mean, there was a lot of plus it became part of the promotion, of course, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, in yeah. 2018, like the, the, the double main event scenario. I mean, double main events, like it, it goes back even in Japanese promotion, it goes all the way back to like the 60s. You know, it goes back to Ricky Dozen and, and, and everything like that. Um, but and we'd had double main events. I, I remember when we were talking about this show for the for our podcast we were doing at the time, we were joking about the double main event one and double main event two, because that's, mm. that's what happened, especially in the early years in this Nakamura reign of the intercontinental title, you know, because nowadays you tend to have them on separate shows, like the IC belt and the, the heavyweight belt. But like back then they would do both on nearly monthly, you know, mm. they, they hadn't really divided up those, those tours as, as much or as distinctly at, at this point. So like, it seems, yeah, every month, every other month we would have double main events, you know? Um, but I, I think like it wasn't until this year, this past year that you really felt that they really felt like two main events, you know, cause it really felt like one main event for the Japanese fans. Or you know, one main event for the the Japanese hardcores and one main event for like uh, that was marketed towards the Western audience, you know, and, and that was a really interesting dynamic, and and the first time that I really felt, oh yeah, these yeah. are kind of two equal main events, you know. Um, but uh, we'll we'll get to that later in, yeah. in a later episode. But um, yeah, I mean. Nakamura and and Tanahashi, what were your memories of it? A, what were your memories of that match at at the time? And B, watching it, knowing it, knowing about the context of it. You know, I mean, what were your thoughts watching it back? Yeah, at the time, I remember being, like we already said, this was a long show. Mm -hmm. And the previous match uh, right before was the longest match of the night. So you were kind of already, I was kind of already losing a little bit of interest or or just getting a little drained, but I remember that just this match being more dynamic. I could tell tell that the crowd was was much more heavily invested. The characters just felt like larger than life characters, and and I think they really delivered. Even though the math match was a bit brisker, um, you know, you you got all the moments, you got all the spots, um, and just for me, Nakamura really. This is when you know I just totally became. Uh, glued to this to this character all his strikes just felt so much 
they had so much importance behind him kind of thing. And, and you could tell he definitely wanted to beat Tanahashi at this stage. And they, these guys have been linked and going back and forth um, this whole time. But this time, you know, Tanahashi comes out on top. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like, to, to your point with, with Nakamura's strikes, there's, um, like, there's very much, that I think they play up their, their different backgrounds a little mm-hmm. bit and their different philosophies to, to wrestling. And, you know, I think now, you know, we're, as we're heading into 2019, like, philosophies to pro wrestling mm-hmm. seems to be the, the big part of the story. But, I mean, like, there's the point where, Tana, there's a few points one, one earlier in the match where like Tanahashi um, has control of Nakamura and he's looking for a a I think he, he starts going for the Texas Cloverleaf um, and a very sort of pro wrestling style hold and like Nakamura like really really quickly transitions into a, a, he gets in a cross arm breaker in the end you know so it's just like letting him know I'm a better grappler than you mm. um, and then there's a bit just a little while after that where there's a couple of like palm strikes and Tanahashi is doing the sort of come on hit me you know kind of expecting a, a your traditional pro wrestling strike exchange and Nakamura just flips and just does like a combo and then Tana rolls to the apron and like Nakamura's just like stomping on his head you know? yeah it's just like and and it's just a real clear you know in the context of this match and i think broadly as well like nakamura going like fuck your conventions you know yeah like this let's this this bullshit of like we're gonna trade trade strikes and like um, prove who the bigger man is like no fuck that you know yeah i'm just gonna kick you in the head you know i i think like that, that was a really great that was a really great moment for for me um and you kind of got you you get a lot of like the little callbacks especially towards the end of this match like Tanahashi goes for a dragon suplex which is what he used to beat Nakamura the first time they wrestled together um and that gets a two uh there's the callback to uh the last match they they had in the in the dome together in in 2000 and well who did I do this with I it was the show I did with Wei so 2008 there you go that's how I remember these (laughs) um where like Nakamura goes for the landslide off the top rope um and uh, Tanahashi sort of he counters it and tries to go for uh you know, I think he's he's trying he gets him up in like a, a powerbomb like um position and oh yeah that's it like he he's up the top and like Tanahashi's got him in a sort of powerbomb position um and Nakamura sort of falls backwards almost like a, a code breaker almost which yeah which was oh gosh that cool. was that was pretty that was pretty awesome yeah. that one sticks out to me yeah um and yeah and then in the end of the day at the end of the day like yeah nakamura hits the hits the bombier um but only gets two and then it, it's tanahashi that the boost to be more effective with the the high fly flow there um so yeah just a, a really good tight main event um and you, you wonder perhaps like if if there was a little bit less spectacle whether they would have had a little bit more time. But at mm. the same time, you know, I think um, given the time that it was, you know, I, I think it, it's a great match. And it's especially a, a really good match to, to come back to because I didn't, I think at that point live, I didn't appreciate how good it was because mm. I, I I was exhausted as well. It's <laughs> like the, the environment of being in that building for, for so long at that, at that standpoint. Um, but uh, yeah, 
yeah, a, a really good match. And at this point, you're starting to see, I think, the the uptake of of business as as well. Um, right. The the paid number was um, obviously a good deal less than they announced because they were announcing like trumped up numbers mm. still at this point. Um, but the the estimated paid number was, um, I think, seventeen thousand five hundred. So like now after a long time where it was just it was literally a struggle to get even into five figures but like those those numbers going up and up and up um and yeah and, and you you'd get past that that 20,000 mark over the next few years and then you know this past year getting up to like that 35,000 mark and and now people really thinking as we we're recording this we're we're getting close to uh, Wrestle Kingdom 13 and and you know people talking seriously of of like you know can we get to that magic 40,000 number yeah, it was exciting. I remember. So this was the first New Japan show I saw. And one year later, I'm sitting in the dome uh, for the first time at the next event. And and from then until this past dome show, I saw there's just the uptick in, in excitement. The amount of people and the amount of foreigners is very palpable. And you just could see it that just the interest grew from this point. Yeah, and, and it's now you – know, it, <laughs> Sounds terrible because it's like the the tagline of the show. So I, I feel like it's a it's an awful like doing the company line thing to do. But like <laughs> it it is a festival now. Yeah, and it, it's it's a real sort of international event. And um, yeah, I, I think you're right. It, it really starts growing, um, but you know, for over the next few years, you know, and this is where like truly people are starting to see it. Like we're in the boom, we're in another golden era. And that's supported by like new Japan world, which was like in 2014 and then like just getting things, getting more accessible and, and it getting into, so in front of, of more eyes, um, which was, was really great to see. Um, all right. Juan. So thanks. Thanks so much, uh, for joining me on this. Oh, this thank you so much for having me. This is awesome memory lane um as we get out of here um what would you like to to send people towards uh yeah the line marks.com that's where me and my wife yoko um just from a fan perspective cover some of the new japan stuff uh do a little bit of translating from japanese to english and the other way around is starting to become a big deal too from English to Japanese. Uh, so yeah, you can find us there, thelinemarks.com and at Twitter at thelinemarks. And uh, just say hi if you're ever at an Osaka New Japan show, we're probably there. And if you're at the Dome, we're probably there and come and say hi to us. Awesome. And of course, you can get Eggshells Pro Wrestling in the Tokyo Dome uh, from where books are sold um, from Amazon. Or you can reach out directly to me at ReasonJP on Twitter. Uh, next time, we'll be looking at 2015. John Carroll will be back from Wrestling Amakase um, to take a look at that show with me. And uh, we'll chat to you next time. Bye. <laughs>